Well, good morning, FCC Church. Wow, that was... Let's try that again. Good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. Hey, that was so much better. Welcome to Sunday morning church. Could you please stand and worship along with us? Joy in the house. 
Amen to that. James chapter 1 verses 19 and 20 says, My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be, oh man, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship, this time of celebration. We're so thankful that we can be in your house. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody today. What a joy it is to come together this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Please make sure you fill out your connection. That's right. Hallelujah. You, you, and he's got his connection card, too, I think, or there. Maybe his offering. Oh, good. Well, we'll take that, too. But anyway, um, make sure you fill out your connection card this morning. If you're watching us online, we ask you to do the same thing. Now, we're going to try something a little different this morning that we've not done for a long time. What I want you to do, we're going to put a timer up here in just a second, a three-minute timer. The band, I want you back here before that's over. And, yeah. And what I want you to do is I want you to go around and say hello to somebody, introduce yourself to somebody that you don't know or that you haven't talked to. Don't go to your buddies. And then, and then my hope is that after service you can make a little bit deeper connection because we try to walk this journey with Christ together. And the last thing we want is we don't want people just running in and running out as fast as they can. We want to connect. And so right now, timer is going to start. You've got three minutes. Go.
Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Let me try that again. Oh, we look to the sun. Eyes on a savior. See. Beyond the skies above, 
occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven even so
Romans 12.2, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. All right, let's try to put our hands together for this one. It's the only thing 
forgiveness. It's like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like the sound of a symphony to my ears. It's like holy water. Your forgiveness is like sweet, sweet honey on my lips. It's like the sound of a symphony in my ears. It's like holy Good morning, church. So, I have coming up to the platform is the first service vocal team. <laughs> and these wonderful people, along with the, the complement of Donna, Joanne, and Jan, um, all of us um, sing serve, uh, first service songs. So we want to do two numbers for you this morning.
I appreciate all the work that they put in to that. Um, they've been working hard with that, and uh, it's that's what we get. A, that's what we get in the first service each week. So if you ever want an opportunity to hear the other side, um, we invite you to come in. Well, I am sure you have heard the saying that God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. Many times we hear it put this way, we'll say, well, I got a promotion, God is good. The cancer is gone, God is good. My child came back to the Lord, God is good. My marriage was saved, God is good. But how often do we hear this? I was let go from my job. God is good. I thought he was getting better. He took a turn for the worse and he died. God is good. My child was arrested last night. God is good. My spouse left me for someone else. Okay, depending, that could, you know, you, know, you could be saying, hallelujah, God is good. But we're going to take it that you didn't want it that way. The goodness of God is not dependent on a set of circumstances or on our current set of circumstances. God is good even when we struggle to see it. As we conclude our series in Habakkuk, you're going to see that Habakkuk is not the same person that he was at the beginning of the book. In these three short chapters, you're going to see a transformation of a person who went from frustration, anger, confusion, to one who's ready to praise God through any storm he faces. See, Habakkuk started all this by, by the fact that he took his request to God in prayer. And by placing it before God, he'd been led into a profound experience of God's majesty, where he was brought face to face with God over these questions that Habakkuk was struggling with. Now he's going to describe the impact that this prayer had on his life that this prayer had during his encounter with the living God. He has been profoundly changed, and indeed changed by this time and place in prayer. And once again, this goes back to an issue we talk about, hey, did you pray about it? You need to pray? Prayer was so important because it can change. Sometimes it won't change your circumstances, but you know what it'll change? It'll change you. Sometimes it'll change the circumstances, but really what's more important is it'll change you. Habakkuk had been profoundly challenged, and he was changed because of what he did. The Habakkuk who speaks to us in verses 16 through 19 of the passage today is not the same person that was introduced at the beginning of the book. I mean, it was, but it's not. He has transformed. The ending of Habakkuk should be an inspiration and an example for all of us as we deal with the things that happen in life, as we try to live a life of true worship. The big idea to the message this morning is very simple. Worship is not about the moment, it's about the lifetime. And we cannot let the moment detract us from what needs to be happening in our lifetime. Let's open our passage together. We're going to be in Habakkuk, we'll start in verse 17. It says this. Now this is after Habakkuk, he'd been, just a quick, just a quick synopsis, he had prayed to God, he'd looked around him, he'd seen all this evil perpetrated by God's people. He was frustrated, just wondering, God, don't you see what's happening? Are you going to do something about it? 
God responds to him and says, yeah, I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to send the Babylonians in. Babylonians were horrific people. And of course, Habakkuk is freaking out. Well, how can you do that? They're worse than your people right now. And here's where we go to here. He says, when the fig trees don't, do not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, when the olive trees do not produce and the fields yield no crops, when the sheep disappear from the pen and there are no cattle in the stalls. So from verse 17, what we notice here is that true worship is not affected by circumstances. What a change of tune from Habakkuk. In the very beginning of the book, we witnessed a prophet who was struggling with questions and he was faced with challenges because of the circumstances around him. Now, Habakkuk wasn't going to God holier than thou. He didn't have that attitude. He was genuinely hurt, confused, and just wondering, God, your people are doing these things. It's your people. We're not even talking about the pagan nations. Your people are doing this evil, and yet you do nothing. The wicked seem to prosper. The righteous seem to suffer. Dude, what's up with this? And Habakkuk was genuinely freaking out over it. But one of the first lessons that we can draw from the book of Habakkuk is that from his journey, that external circumstances should not sway how we see God and our worship of God. Regardless of the challenges and the circumstances surrounding us, our worship should remain steadfast. It should remain rooted in faith and trust in God. We face circumstances that will rock our world many times. But the question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to let that circumstance rock you out of Christ? Or are you going to let it rock you to Christ? Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17 is one of the Bible's most beautiful declarations of true faith and worship that you're going to find anywhere. When you take it in the context of when it was written, if you just pull it out by itself, it doesn't seem, I mean, it's powerful, but it doesn't seem as powerful. But when you understand the context, that's why we preach through the whole book, it really makes it powerful. Habakkuk declares that even if the fields and the trees don't produce any fruit, if the cattle aren't productive, there's no sheep, he's still going to rejoice or worship the Lord. The end of the book points to his transformation that was all brought about because he had the courage to take it to God. He, didn't, he wasn't afraid, well, I'm going to make God mad. He took his true heart, he laid it before the Lord, his true emotions, he didn't fake it, he laid it in front of the Lord. And that led to his transformation. He had moved from saying in chapter 1, what's happening here? Don't you even care? Don't you see this? I bet you're asking that today too when you look at situations around you. To chapter 3 saying, God, regardless what I see, regardless what I experience, guess what? I will worship you. That's a, quite a movement. Now what we find in verse 17 is bad stuff's coming bad stuff's coming. In Jewish thought, and this is what makes it even worse in Jewish thought, wealth and prosperity were signs of God's blessing. And they were reasons to praise God. Obviously, if you're blessed financially and everything, yeah, why not praise God? Hallelujah. And the Jewish thought was that way. This is why in the New Testament, when Jesus was confronted by the rich young ruler, this young man approaches Jesus and the disciples. He says, Lord, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus looks at him, he says, well, you need to keep the commands. Don't kill, don't murder, don't, you know, so on and so forth. And the young man looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, I've done that since my youth. Now, here's a young man who is a good person, 
by all accounts, a very good person. And I deal with people a lot that say, you know what, I'm a good person, I'm going to go to heaven. You've probably done the same thing. A lot of people, maybe you're sitting here thinking today, I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. But this young man instinctively knew something was missing in his life. And so he asked Jesus, he says, okay, Lord, I've done all these things, but I know, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of adding to this, I know there's something missing. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, go sell all your possessions and come follow me. Okay, if you're poor, maybe that's easy, but when you're rich, whoo. And the young man just couldn't bring himself to do it. Because remember, wealth was a sign of prosperity, sign of blessings from God. Now the disciples are watching this unfold and they are like, whoa. Because remember, their mindset is wealth, prosperity equals God's blessing. So here's what Jesus told them. Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, talk about and confusion. The disciples are like, wait a minute. We have been brought up and conditioned to say that if you're wealthy, you've been blessed by God. And if a person blessed by God can't get into heaven, I don't have a chance because I'm definitely not blessed in that way. And they are just, Jesus knows what they're thinking. So in verses 25 and 26, it says, the disciples were greatly astonished when he heard this and said, then who can be saved? That's a good question. Because if you're blessed by God and you can't be saved, then who can be? And Jesus said, well, it's, this is impossible for mere humans, but with God, all things are possible. And then he probably smiled and just said, y'all go figure that one out. <laughs> Habakkuk acknowledges that things are going to get bad. Verse 17, sometimes we have a tendency in life to kind of over, to sugarcoat things. Oh, it's not going to be as bad as it thinks. Uh, we, had a, we had a Jeep in a ditch yesterday, and when I first saw the pictures, I told Andrew, I said, we'll get this out. It was, our, it was the best off-road adventure we ever had, man. It was awesome. I, it was awesome because it wasn't my truck laying in that ravine. But anyway, um, and I told him, we'll get this out. I'm all enthusiastic, and I get there, and I'm like, uh-oh. Uh-oh. I mean, they couldn't even get a, a recovery person to come out there. He wasn't anyone nothing to do with it. Thanks to Andrew, we got that bad boy out, though, with minimal damage. But, I mean, when I saw it, I'm like, oh, my heart sunk. Like, oh, no. How are we going to do this? <laughs> See, Habakkuk is looking around him. He knows what's coming, and he's thinking, uh-oh. He's not sugarcoating. I tried to sugarcoat the Jeep in the ravine. That would be easy to get. Woo. It, we got it out, but it wasn't easy. And Habakkuk isn't saying, I'm going to praise you, Lord, no matter what. It's all lollipops and balloons and unicorns and cookies. Um, it's, it's not that. He knows what's coming. He knows what's coming. He gives six clauses in verse 17 to show that he understands the gravity of what's going to hit them. So he's not just flippantly saying, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. He knows what's coming. He says, the first thing he says, though the fig tree should not blossom. Now, some commentators think that these six clauses are symbolic. And I think there's some symbolism. But I believe that he also is describing what's going to happen. Because when the Babylonians would come in, you know what they would do? We would call it scorched earth. They would take away everything that they could use and they would basically burn the rest. <laughs> So he says first, he says, the fig trees, should the fig trees not blossom? The fig trees symbolize prosperity and abundance in the ancient Near East. 
Its failure to blossom, what it did is it represents the absence of fruitfulness and economic, and it shows economic decline. So maybe we'd be saying today the fig trees aren't blossoming. And then the second thing he says, nor the fruit, on the, nor the fruit be on the vine. Now vines were essential to producing grapes, and it was a significant agricultural commodity. The lack of this fruit on the vine signifies a loss of agricultural productivity, and it represents scarcity. They drank a lot of wine then. The other thing is when he says the produce of the olive will fail. Olive oil was a big, indi- olive oil was a big industry. It was very important for life and substance of the people. Failure to produce olive oil would show further how bad things are going to get. And then he goes on, he says, and the fourth thing in the fields yield no food. This clause encompasses basically the broader spectrum and the impact of unproductive fields, encompassing failure to vary of various crops and a severe shortage. So basically, we're going to run out of food. It's not going to be there. And then he's, the fifth thing, he says, the flocks should be cut off from the fold. The loss of flocks represents the livestock industry and the absence of, of animal resources, which were crucial for food, clothing, and economic stability. You didn't have vegans in that day or vegetarians, I don't think, they relied on animals for everything, and they weren't going to have them. And then he said, number six, and there should be no herds in the stalls. This final clause signifies a complete absence of cattle, and it showed a, indicated a profound economic loss and a lack of resources, and the things that you needed to do agricultural work. It was all going to be gone. So when you take all six of these clauses, it paints a comprehensive picture of a society that was going to face overwhelming adversity and loss of various aspects of life, their economy was going to be crashed, their food supply was going to be crashed, and and their wealth was going to go down the drain. This is serious. So Habakkuk isn't being flippant when he says, oh, it's, it's going to get bad, I'm going to worship you. He lays it out. The end result of this destruction would end in the death of tens of thousands of people in that population. Very serious. Everything of value was going to be gone. This clause gives us a a significant backdrop to emphasize the strength of Habakkuk's trust in God. And in in the face of this adversity, you know what he does? He's going to choose to rejoice despite the circumstances. That, my friends, is hard to do. When you get the promotion, praise God. When the cancer is cured, praise God. But when those things don't happen, can you still praise God? It's easy to praise him when things are going well. And as I stated in an earlier message on this series, can you raise a hallelujah in the middle of the storm? That, my friends, is a mark of maturity. That is a mark of a strong relationship with God because it's hard to sing a praise of hallelujah when you've lost your job, lost your family member, lost your house, you know, when everything seems like it's just going to pot. The bottom line here is Habakkuk's nation was going to be on the brink of destruction. Life wasn't going to be easy. Circumstances should not sway our ability to praise and worship God. Let's look at verse 18. With verse 17 as the backdrop, he says, I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be happy because of the Lord, because of the God who delivers me. So the second observation is this. True worship springs out of a correct perspective on life despite the trauma the nation was going to face, how can Habakkuk be able to rejoice? How is he going to be able to worship God? 
Habakkuk can worship God because in the midst of all this, because he has a correct perspective on life. Habakkuk says he will rejoice. Why? Because of the Lord. Habakkuk 3.18 moments won't usually happen in our lives without Habakkuk 3.1-16 through 16 that we looked at last week when we preached, I preached on remember the past. When you remember God's faithfulness, when you remember when God came through in different areas, when you remember God's blessing, when you don't have that perspective, you can't look forward and say, I can praise you no matter what, because you won't have the trust. The past helps build trust for the future. That's how those things interlock. The moment when we acknowledge that God has a different perspective from ours, that's when things start happening. Moments when we decide to trust him, even when it doesn't look like we should, even when we don't want to, even when we don't like and understand what's going on, that's when things change because your perspective is different. Learning to worship God in the good times prepares us to be able to worship God in the difficult times. You don't know how strong you are until you face resistance. Um, that's, I don't, I'm going to say this. I believe when Russia went into Ukraine, they thought they were going to end that bad boy in a week. I think most of it. What happened? Oops, the paper tiger just got exposed. It didn't happen that way, did it? It's still, they still haven't done it. Because they, did, they didn't, you don't know how strong you are. You can mouth about how strong you are. I used to love it when I watched Mike Tyson fight, loved his fights. And, you know, the opponent be out there lipping and mouthing off, and then boom, one shot the dude's down. Marvis Frazier, man, that was, that was one of the shortest fights I ever saw. I would hate to pay the money to go see that. And then in some odd 20, 30 seconds, the fight's over. So if you're going to run your mouth, you ought to be able to back it. Well, you don't know how strong you are until you face resistance. If you go into the gym, and you start, I'm going to work out, and you grab a four-ounce weight, and you just start using it. Man, look at my guns, man. These babies are popping. Unless you curl that thing a million times, you're going to see nothing. You've got to use resistance to build your strength. And I've always said, you know, lady, you know, particularly ladies, if you struggle with osteoporosis, get in the gym. Start doing weight resistance work. It will help you because it will force everything to get stronger. But see, you don't know how strong you are until you face something. What determines which way storms of life will affect you? Because storms of life will do one of probably two things. One, they'll destroy you. Or two, you'll come out strong. It's amazing. Sometimes you'll see a tornado come through. And uh, they always hit the trailer park. I don't know why. They just always, I always said, I'm put my house next, in, in Missouri, I put my house next to a trailer park. That way the tornado won't hit my house. But anyway, it's amazing. I've seen tornadoes pick a house up you know, you see the videos and throw the house away, but the house next to it's basically untouched. Same storm. What determines if you're destroyed or strengthened by a storm? You know what it is? It's called perspective. Perspective. Habakkuk says, I will rejoice because of the Lord. He doesn't say he's going to rejoice because, oh, the circumstances will get better. Oh, this. He's going to rejoice because of the Lord, even in the middle of adversity. The simple declaration of verse 18 shows Habakkuk's, it showcases his unwavering faith and his commitment to the Lord that is not tied to circumstances. Challenging circumstances and challenging realities that were described in verse 17 gives strength to Habakkuk's response in verse 18, that he's choosing, choosing to worship God instead of letting it. Think about this for a moment. 
You ever been through a tough situation in life? And all you could do is think about that situation. And all you could do when you're thinking about that is stress about that to the point where you're depressed. Now, let me ask you something. When you got stressed and depressed, did the situation change? Did it fix it? Did it get better? And you may be asking, why is this happening? Why is this happening? The why really doesn't matter because it's not going to fix anything. You're suffering because, and I'll give you the, the answer that's not beautiful, but it's the truth. You live in a fallen world. Why did that drunk driver kill so-and-so? Fallen world. Why did this evil person do that? Fallen world. Why did I get a disease that, or my wife get a disease that took her life? Fallen world. Why did my mother get kidney cancer? Fallen world. That is not a, a satisfactory answer, but it is the answer. You know why that's the answer? What's going to happen in heaven? My mom's not going to die of cancer in heaven. I'm not going to lose everything I have in heaven. I'm not going to have animosity in heaven. See, we live in a fallen world. And you have to decide how you're going to handle it. I've been through a situation recently that I was stressing and depressing over losing sleep over. And I'm ashamed to say it took me quite a few days to pull out of that. But what I found is when I told, see, look, we talked about this before. Is God in control, yes or no? It's not yes, but. If you got yes, but, he's not in control. He is in control. So I went through a situation. I did not like the way it ended. I did not like what was happening. It made me angry. It made me hurt. It made me sad. And ashamedly, I did not immediately just say, here you go, God. I'm going to follow it. But when I finally did, you know what happened? The circumstance didn't change. Matter of fact, it ended up the way I didn't really want it to end up. But you know what? Who's in control? God or Jeff? I had to say, God's in control. So I have to learn to deal with it. Because God has his reasons for everything. I might not know them. But my point is I was stressing and depressing over something that I should have turned over to God from the moment one. I struggled with doing it because I was holding on to it so tightly that it stressed me out. So when I finally, a few days ago, said, God, it's yours. I told some people, I'm at peace, I'm good. And I was. And I am. Am I still kind of upset? And Yeah, I am, to be honest with you. But I'm not, I'm at peace. Because God is in control of stuff that I don't even think, why would God want to care? But he does. So when you're going through those difficult times, you letting it destroy you is not going to fix it. It's just going to destroy you. You've got to be able to say, God, I trust you. I'm going to worship you in the middle of this storm. And believe me, it'll change things. It'll change things. Habakkuk recognizes the true joy and fulfillment found in his relationship with God. That's what he bases it on. True worship and true faith are not or should not be contingent on external circumstances. They have to be rooted in our trust and our reliance on God. We're called to look beyond the challenges that we face and fix our eyes and our gaze on our faithful, loving God who sent his son to die on the cross for us. Habakkuk's declaration reveals a deep understanding of God's character as the source of salvation. He acknowledges that it is God who rescues, who delivers, and brings salvation to all people that want to have that opportunity. By finding joy in God and his salvation, Habakkuk reaffirms his confidence in God's ability to provide, protect, and sustain him 
through the trials he is about to face that he is not exempt from. I pray that we can anchor ourselves to, the, to that when we're facing the storms in life. If not, we're just going to get blown out to sea and drown. Let our worship be marked by an unwavering trust, knowing that God is that source. Let's look at verse 19. He finishes this book. He says, The sovereign Lord is my source of strength. He gives me the agility of a deer. He enables me to negotiate rugged terrain. True worship happens when we focus on the one true God. Habakkuk is placing his trust because of his perspective where it needs to be. He is going to face a difficult situation from which he will not be shielded. He's going to suffer with everybody else. But he knows that God is the one who gives him strength. He will get through the storm. His focus is on God and what God has done for him. Habakkuk 3.19 shows the results of verses 17 and 18. When we rejoice in the Lord, no matter what we're experiencing, he strengthens us and he enables us to go to higher places that we could never go on our own. When you're in those moments of stress and depress, you're not strong. But when you're relying on the Lord, when otherwise you might be stressed and depressed, you will be strengthened and you will have the, the power to get through what you're dealing with. Most Christians that have been around for any length of time have experienced a crisis of faith at some point in their life. The circumstances have happened, and it makes you really question everything. There's a season in life where you struggle to see God in the midst of your suffering, and then you wonder if God even really cares anymore. That's where Habakkuk was. Do you even care, God? But during that trial, your faith grew and it developed. And then maybe that trial you went through was going to be an opportunity for you to help somebody else who's struggling. I've seen this so many times. Things that have happened, you're like, God, why did this happen? But yet the circumstance was able to help bless other people. And I'm not saying God caused somebody to lose their kids so that could happen, because that child died because we live in a fallen world. But God was able to use that opportunity, and the people were able to use that opportunity to be a blessing to others. Sometimes, one of the things I love about Jesus is the book of Hebrews says that we can take comfort in the fact that Jesus went through the same things that we did, but without sin. Hebrews 4.15 reminds us, For we do not have a high priest incapable of sympathizing with our weakness, but one who's been tempted in every way as we have yet without sin. The reason I love this is when I'm struggling with sin, I mean, we're, we're kind of ashamed of it, I get that. But I don't have to be so ashamed that I can't take it to Christ. Because he's been tempted in all ways, but yet without sin. So he knows why I'm struggling with what I'm struggling with. One of the things that I determined when I got into ministry, and when I would go to, when I, when I, when I had the drug problem when I was a kid, and I got drugged to Catholic Church when I was a kid, you know, I thought that priest, man, was, I, you know, I thought he must be something special. Man, look at all these holy things he's doing. And then when I go to church with girls that I dated before I met my wife, and she saved me from that, um, or save them from that, probably. But uh, I think, man, this guy, he's all dressed nice, and he's articulate. He must have it all together. He must be perfect. You know what I found is if people think who's behind the pulpit is perfect, that's not encouraging to them. Now, I realize there's a, a line between being pathetic and being an open book. But I hope that people, when they look at me, they don't see perfection. Because if you do talk to my wife, she, she'll give you the lowdown on that. 
Uh, my cats think I'm perfect, but you know. But anyway, um, I am not perfect. I struggle. Sometimes I'm ashamed at how much I struggle with things. But what I try to offer you, say, you know what? God took me through this. He can take you through it too. I don't win every battle. Jesus wins them. And if you guys think, well, this guy's perfect. I can't ever attain that. For one thing, you're misinformed. But number two, I'm a person just like the rest of you. I just have a different vocation. I have a different calling. But I don't ever want people to look up here and think, man, look at him. Don't do that because you're, you're wrong. I struggle like you do. I have moments of weakness. I have moments of struggle. But I can also tell you that Jesus will bring me through, and he'll bring you through too. If, any, if I, anything, I'm an example of an example of God taking somebody who I didn't think God could use and could use them. He can do the same thing with you. Trusting God through the windshield ahead will only make, a, make sense when we've looked in the rearview mirror and said, look what he's done. We sing this song, what he's done. That should help us to be able to know what he's going to do. And it'll help us so many times. Many times we forget that. In this verse 19, he concludes this and he says, you know what? He says, uh, I'll just pull it back up there again. The sovereign Lord is my source of strength. He gives me agility of a deer and he enables me to negotiate the rugged terrain. Basically what he's saying here is my strength comes from him. He gives me the ability to navigate difficult situations. Deer are very graceful. We saw a couple deer out on, on the trail like yesterday. and Boy, they're beautiful animals. Just amazing what they can do. You'd look at one and think, there's no way that thing can get off the ground. I mean, big old body, little chicken legs on it. And those things can jump like nobody's business. They're so graceful and beautiful out in the wild. And God, and Habakkuk says, you've given me that ability. I've got that strength. I might not look like much, but boy, I can, I can, I can do stuff through you. And I can go through that rugged terrain. When I hit the problems of life, Lord, you will get me through them. Your strength will help me. This imagery is significant because it acknowledges the power that Habakkuk has received from God. His example, my prayer is, gives us hope for the future. One of the profound things about Habakkuk is from chapter 1 to chapter 3, the circumstance did not change. As a matter of fact, it kind of got worse. Because when God told Habakkuk, yeah, we're going to bring the Babylonians in, man, that was bad. But what did change was Habakkuk and his response. He went from, you don't care, how can you do this, to I will worship you no matter what. That's quite a movement. And that's, as our faith grows, that's where we have to be. We're going to be, you don't care, to how can you do this, to Lord, I trust you. That's a growth of faith. That's a progression that we're looking to get. He moved from a place of frustration to worship. Our application for this morning is simply this. Learning to worship regardless of circumstances will deepen your faith and your relationship with God. True worship is centered on God and God alone. Our current circumstances should not impact that in the least. Because he's either control in control or he's not. There's no buts. This morning, our praise team is going to come forward and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to, going to give you that opportunity to do so this morning. You know, sometimes, to be honest with you, when I preach a message and I'm writing them, I actually, I write them to myself just so you know. I don't preach at people. I preach at Jeff because Jeff needs to be preached at. But sometimes I think, you know, I'm writing this and people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you, have, you don't know what I'm going through. You're right, I don't. And I would never trivialize what you're going through. 
But you know who does know what you're going through? God does. And God wants you to come through it victorious. He doesn't want you carrying guilt and shame. He doesn't want you shackled by these things. He doesn't want you carrying your sin around. He wants to relieve those things from you and give you eternal life. It's a gift, folks. It changes your life. If you, that's what you need this morning. When we sing our song of decision, we invite you to come forward this morning. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your, your home, we'd love to have you come forward. And if you're struggling and need prayer this morning, if you want to come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. But if you have a decision, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing our song of decision this morning. You're right here 
everywhere I go, I know you're not far away. You're right here. You're right here. And everywhere I go, I know you're not far away. You're right here. You're right here. And everywhere I go, I know you're not far away. You're right here. You're right here. He is always right here. This is a time in our service where we take time to celebrate and to remember what Jesus has done for us on the cross when he, when he sacrificed his life so that we could have eternal life through him. You know, we talk about this good person narrative, and I think if you go, if you were to go to the mall and start asking people, well, how do you get to heaven? Many Christians would say, well, through the blood of Jesus. But I think if you weed the Christians out of that, most people would probably tell you, if they'll acknowledge there's a heaven, oh yeah, I'm gonna get there because I'm a good person. I do good stuff, okay? The rich young ruler was a good person from all accounts, a very good person. But as I said in the message, he instinctively knew something was missing. And I really believe that when we're outside of Christ, there's something in us that tells us something's not quite right. We just don't know what it is. And Jesus went to the cross because he said, you know what, you can never be good enough because good enough requires perfection. And we can't accomplish that. So Jesus said, you know what? I know that you're going to fail. The Old Testament was meant to show us that we were going to fail, that we needed something more. And so he went to the cross and he died on that cross. His blood was shed and his blood is the only reason we go to heaven. Now, as a Christian, are you going to be a good person? Boy, I hope so. Sometimes I was, I know, and I'm not going to go there, but sometimes, you know, I see people on their Facebook post that they're a Christian and then I've been around them. I'm like, whoa, please take that off your page. <laughs> it's rough. But the fact of the matter is, being in Christ will change you. Yes, it'll make you better, but your goodness isn't going to get you to heaven. It's being covered by the blood of Christ. And as a result of that appreciation, you're going to try to live for him. And so when we take this cup, that cup represents the blood that was shed for you so that you didn't have to be perfect, so that you could live under God's grace. That bread represents the punishment that Jesus took for you, so you didn't have to do it. So when I take my last breath of the Lord returns and, and I'm in Christ, I'm going to get to be with him. Not because I was a preacher or because hopefully I was a good husband or a good father, but because I'm covered by the blood of Christ. In communion to time, we remember that sacrifice that gives us this wonderful gift that otherwise we could never obtain. Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to remember the sacrifice that your son made on our behalf, that he went to the cross and that he died. But that's not the end of the story. That he rose on the third day. He defeated death, and by his blood, we are saved through that blood. And Father, we celebrate that time this morning. I pray as we look into our hearts, Lord, that that we're not trying to earn our ticket to heaven by being a good person, but we're simply living our life for you because we love you and we appreciate the gift that we have of eternal life through your son, Jesus. 
It's in his name that we pray. Amen. announcement sign. Uh, one thing, um, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but two things. Our first service praise team, you know, Rod is our worship coordinator, and he's really, you know, he took that talent, and he's really maximizing it with that group, and they work hard to do that, and I really appreciate them coming in and sharing their music with us this morning. Um, the other thing, I hear Mark back, he, I don't want to embarrass him, but I hear Mark back here on guitar, and it hasn't been that long ago that Mark wasn't playing guitar. And Rod took Mark under his wing, and him and Scott, they've been working together. And it, when we were playing one of the songs, I just smile. I look back at Mark Becker just jamming out. Thought, this is so awesome. Um, you know, the whole team, Rusty and, and Gene and, 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 and uh, Sean Palmer and the whole group, they all just work so well together, and it's just been a real blessing. So I'm thankful for that. Just... As far as our announcements, our, elder preacher, our elders and preachers will get together today at 3.30. Jerry has all of his groups tonight, Roger's groups meeting. Uh, we have a leadership team meeting Tuesday night. Jules has her LOL group meeting also. And then we have all of our Bible studies, including Lori's on Wednesday. Prime time, we're going to the Golden Dragon. And uh, we're going there Friday. So if you'd like to sign up, please let us know by Tuesday so Crystal can give them a number. And uh, our, let's see, Operation Christmas Child's looking for some things. And right now my wife has got something to share about spa. Spam. <coughs> Spam. Orange.
Why is she looking? I'm no longer interested. <laughs> well, you skipped the one you could go to. If they were having smookies, I would be showing up. <laughs> uh, we, we do these things like our off-road adventures and things like that, uh, the narrow path. We do these things because we feel it's important. You know, what we do as a church, we change lives by connecting people with Christ. But to do that, we have to connect with each other. And so the worst thing that, I, you know, as a minister, what I hate is I hate run out the door, run in the door, run out the door, run in the door. We want you to connect with people. And so we do these things for spiritual benefit, obviously, but also so you can do, get a strong community. The ladies spa group is an awesome way for you to get connected with the ladies here in the church. The off-road adventure, man, we have a lot of fun. Even if you don't have a truck, you can ride with somebody. And if, depending on who you ride, you might get a real adventure uh, with that. But uh, I'm just thankful that wasn't my truck. But anyway, um, we do these things for that purpose because we want to build a sense of community. And I think one of the strong suits of our church is preaching, teaching, and we want a strong community. And from there, we can really do a lot of things. So we encourage you to go there for that. On the inside of your bulletin, or the back side, I always get them mixed. Yeah, it's on the inside, technically. You have prayer concerns, and we ask that you take a look at those, that you take them with you this week. Um, and there's a mention about the fellowship acti activities that we do. We encourage you to get plugged into those. It's good to see one of our elders, Ken, back with us today. And uh, we're pray we pray for his continued recovery. Uh, we have many other people we've been praying for. We ask that you lift them up. We're praying for uh, Santa on the West End project. That's one of the outreaches that we support here locally. And then we have the missions that we support. So we ask that you keep those in your prayer. So at this time, let's stand together. I'm going to close with a word of prayer. And the band will give us a song to go out with. Father, we're thankful that we could come together today, and I pray, Lord, that just like Habakkuk, man, we're just going to praise you and worship you no matter what. Lord, help us to understand that, yeah, things are difficult at times, but you're still with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.